Welcome to Only Human, a podcast from Don't Forget the Bubbles. This is Becky Platt with Henry Goldstein, and these are the stories that reflect the diversity of our community and the multitude of life events that come our way, that shape us as professionals and as humans. Simon is an emergency medicine consultant, and his story is about having a breakdown and how this has affected his career. Interestingly, asking him to describe his role is complicated. It's a bit of a difficult one. It's one of the things I struggle with these days. I, I had a breakdown um, 2015, so getting on for my sixth breakdown anniversary, um, back in September 2015. And... Although I got back to clinical medicine initially, actually that didn't happen long term. And so now I do sort of medical education and pastoral work and I don't actually do any clinical medicine. So I find it odd to describe myself as a medical, you know, an emergency medicine consultant because I don't think I do what emergency medicine consultants do, but I'm not really sure what to call myself. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it kind of talks about your professional identity? I still think of myself often, I suppose internally, I still think of myself as an emergency medicine consultant. That's who I was. Um, and now I'm somebody who can't do that anymore and has had to try and come to terms with that uh, and come to terms with, well, what does that make me now? What makes me of any value to anybody? I, I'll be honest, I, I'm not entirely convinced I understand why I'm here. I don't I don't understand, sort of, you know, um, I'm losing track. Sorry, this is, this is what happens. I'm really sorry. The stress and demands of the role had been taking their toll on Simon for quite a while. But one day, everything just got too much. He was no longer able to keep all the balls in the air. So, emergency medicine had something for about 13 years. And I think like everybody, this was the 2013, um, things were getting difficult. I'd certainly struggled with the stresses of the job. Uh, and I remember I'd, I'd uh, had a difficult meeting the day before this happened, which made me feel a little bit vulnerable, I think, in terms of what if something was to go wrong, what would happen to me? And it was not a particularly busy shift. And I was sat at the staff base and a junior doctor showed me an ECG. And I, I think I managed to deal with that. And I just sat there and I don't know what happened. And the nurse who was in charge of the department just looked at me and said, are you okay, Simon? And I remember just saying back to her, no, I don't think I can do this anymore. And something had changed. I, I don't know what it was, Becky, but I could feel that something had happened. How did it feel to all of a sudden not be able to do a job that had come so easily to you before? It was petrifying. I, I went to see the, the, the GP the next day who actually had been one of my junior colleagues when I was a registrar. So that was, that was really nice that I, I you know, I, like most doctors, I'd, I'd barely seen my GP at any point, but it was nice. And he was really comforting in terms of his, look, it's, it's going to be all right. We'll, we'll sort this out. And he, he signed me off for sort of two weeks and I was sitting there going, oh, a week will be fine. He said, look, let's make it two weeks. And, but I went home and, and, and the only way I can describe it to people is I'd completely lost the ability to multitask. Mm. So I could do one thing at a time. And you know what, what emergency medicine's like? You've got multiple things going on at once. And actually, it's, it's what drives us. We love it. Mm. You know, we have that sort of adrenaline junkie thing of 
spinning plates and keeping everything going and that's what we do. And here was I now in a position where I remember I was trying to hang some washing out a couple of days in. I was, I was hanging some washing up on the, on, 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 on the maid and I was just doing that. And my wife came in to tell me something. Uh, and as she started talking to me, I remember getting really angry with her mm. and turning and saying, you can't talk to me while I'm doing something. I, I, I can't listen to you and do this at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I was in this, as I said, I, I, was, I was stuck. I knew if, if this is what I'm going to be like, I can't work again. My, my emergency medicine is, is the ultimate plate spinning gig. Mm-hmm. But just being a doctor involved, and, I, and all of a sudden it all crashed down. And I, what was I going to do for a living? How was I going to pay the rent? How was I going to look after my family? All of that just came crashing in on me. And I didn't know what was going to happen. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) you didn't feel great. Left reeling from this realisation, Simon began to seek support and to develop coping mechanisms in order to navigate his future as a medical professional. The only support I got from work was that, look, just fine, it's, it's fine, if you're off, you're off, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and I think at that time, that was probably all that they could offer and all that they knew how to offer. And I am, again, forever grateful for the fact that I, at no point during all of this story that I tell, did I ever get any pressure from my nursing colleagues, from my junior colleagues, from my consultant colleagues, from my direct line managers, at, at no point, that I get any pressure about sort of what's off, why aren't you back? That that never happened. Mm. Um, I'm not sure they knew what to do, but they knew <laughs> not to do that, which is which is at least something. Um, I, I spent a lot of time going to the GP, and mm-hmm. the GP would uh, just keep telling me it's going to be okay. And and he said to me, "You're looking at six months." And I said, "Oh no, no, no!" I said, "You're looking at six months before you're going to be back." Um, and he was very patient with me. <laughs> um, and I just, I just took time to, I started doing a little bit more running, just going out and walking, just trying not to be doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it took about three or four weeks. And suddenly one morning, I realized that I was doing two things at once. Okay. I was making some breakfast and making my wife a cup of coffee or doing something. And, I, and, I, and it, it wasn't like something a light bulb switch. No, it just said, oh, right, maybe I can do more than one thing at once. And it came back, not to where it was, not to, and it never has come back to anything like it was. But all of a sudden I was doing more than one thing at once and there was sort of perhaps an inkling of, okay, maybe there is a, a way out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's a way back. Uh, I suppose at that point is what I was thinking. Um, a way back to work or a way back to normal functioning at home or what did what did you want the way back to be at that well stage? i think i think it was a way back to you know I, I i broke here i'm here can i go back to there so mm-hmm. there's my journey there's my story going along like this it's broken and the idea is right can i get myself back there's gonna be a little bit of a hiatus here yeah and i'm gonna get back there and off i go yeah you know and and, and that was my assumption that that's what would that's what would happen yeah um initially so at that stage, getting back to the same as before yes. was the goal. Yes. To begin with in the first few weeks, I think that was, that was absolutely what was, what was the plan. Having begun his recovery, 
Simon began to process the impact this experience had, both on his professional identity and in many ways the way he viewed himself as a human. What would the future hold for Simon and who is he now? My badge says emergency medical consultant. What does an emergency medical consultant do? They stand there, they deal with the resource cases, they <laughs> fix the printer, they teach <laughs> others. They do, you know, the, the whole gamut of what you do is, is, is what I am. Mm-hmm. And so that's surely what, if, if I'm going to wear the badge, you do the job, don't you? Yeah, I'm really interested in this kind of how your professional identity, and I think this is true for certainly for me and I'm guessing for a lot of us, that our professional identity is really tangled up in how we view ourselves mm-hmm. as whole people. The breakdown itself, the, 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 the feeling of being broken was unpleasant. And I think the next stage for me was coming to terms with how I'd broken, perhaps why I'd broken and, and who it was had broken. Mm. And that's where I think my focus started to shift slowly because I started to recognize that the person who broke wasn't a terribly nice person. And the job that he was doing was taking its toll. And, and to be that, for me, to be that person who could stand in resource, run a department, fix the printer, do whatever. For me to be that person, I'd had to give up and so much of who I thought I was. And yet, when I stopped and really looked at the 360-degree feedback, stopped and thought about, well, what do I think people really think I am? It was pretty unpleasant. Who were you at that point? Well, I, if, you had, if you could describe that person. The person who broke? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, I think I had become, I think the, 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 the stress of the job had sent me into full threat mode, mm-hmm. and, you know, the survival mode where all I'm concerned about is myself. Yeah. Everything becomes about me. So I know in the months leading up to it, you know, I, would, I was angry with every ambulance crew that turned up in the department with a patient. I was angry with junior doctors who didn't know what they were doing. I was angry with almost everybody that made my life worse. Hmm. Okay, by my reckoning. And, and that's not a great place to be, and I, I accept that. Um, and I think I'd got there over time, and I was, you know, naturally, I was one of those people who felt that they coped. So I was very judgmental of other people. Um, I suppose I still am to a degree. I'm just slightly less. I try my hard not, not to be. But I was very judgmental. I was um, self-righteous. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a great person. Mm-hmm. at that point and that has hopefully changed but that, that but that journey back um was unpleasant all of a sudden you have a mirror being held up to you that you have to look in mm. and mine was not a pretty reflection and that's where i suppose that the positive that comes out of this you turn around and say okay i've seen this i've seen who i've become and i don't want to be that person mm-hmm. i want to be different and the the, the, the the, the mantra that I developed at that point was, I don't want to get back to who I was. I want to become who, I, who I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. And it sounds a little bit self-help, a bit, but it was this like, recognition, okay, the future is going to be different. Going back to where you were is not a solution to this problem. Yeah. 
You see, I'm still a problem solver in the end, isn't it? <laughs> it's not, what I've got to do is I've got to decide, okay, how can you be the person you want to be, the person you are supposed to be, and at the same time do your job? And if those two things aren't compatible, which bits are you going to sacrifice? Mm -hmm. um, or which bits have to be sacrificed? Um, so it became a, a, a little bit more sort of this, this matter of what, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. I'm, going to, mm -hmm. I'm moving forward, not going backwards. I'm not going back to who I was. I'm going forward to who I'm going to be, mm -hmm. you know? And, and who are you now? Uh, professionally, you, you've said you're a, you're a better husband and father now. Um, I think we'd probably have to let my wife and children decide that. I think they think they are. We, we could ask her. Let, let's hope she'd say yes. I think she, I, I, she, I, she, she does. She, she thinks I'm a better husband now than I was before. Great. And, and, my, and my kids do as well. They recognise that. I'm relieved to hear that. Me too. Who are you professionally now? Yeah. That, I think that's something that I'm still wrestling with. Um, so I'm not a clinician. So I don't see patients and deal with them myself. Um, I think I, I define myself... One of the ways I define myself is I, I'm, I'm some medical education polyfiller. I sort of, I fit the gaps. Wherever there's gaps that need to be filled, I tend to do this. I, I, I spend time doing medical education and pastoral work, I suppose is the best way to describe what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I do that from a, a place of, I've got a lot of clinical experience, so I can still teach clinical skills. And one of the wonderful things about my um, career as an emergency medicine doctor is I've got a broad skill set yeah. in terms of making diagnosis and recognizing state and the, the diagnostic process. Um, so I've got a lot of that and that gives me some credibility with people. It gives me credibility with medical students, certainly for now. Although Simon has found a way to continue working as a medical professional, it feels like the absence of clinical practice within his new role is something he hasn't quite yet got used to. I find it very difficult to be in the emergency department. Mm. Um, when I got back into this more educational role, and I, I got into that and, and I would go to work and do that and, and I would help juniors with their clinical stuff. But I consciously wore um, civilian clothes, shall mm -hmm. we call them. Yeah. And then... COVID came along and that wasn't really appropriate anymore to wear that yet for infection control issues. And I had to put scrubs on. And every time I put them on, I feel uh, even more of a fraud than I do on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm, I'm a fraud. I, uh, a stolen valor, I think is the phrase the Americans use. With the, I miss it. I miss the clinical work. I miss that connection you have with patients. I don't think you realize just how much you miss it until it's gone. Yeah. I miss... You know, making a scared child feel, you know, that it's going to be okay. I miss going in and seeing a, a patient. And that's not about me. That's about them. And, and that connection you get with a human being in that moment. And I will never get that again. You, you talked earlier about having to make sacrifices. Yeah. So it feels like that's the sacrifice that you've made for improved mental health. Yeah, I, th I, th I don't think it's I don't think it's a sacrifice that I necessarily made sort of, you know, willingly set out to do it. It was something that I've had to realise. And, and I suppose it's, I can be sad, I can be bitter, I can be angry. I am very capable of being all of those things. Mm -hmm. I choose not to be. I choose 
not to do that. And I have to make that choice because those emotions come up on a regular basis. But I choose not to be that. I choose to try and have, be happy, to try and be useful, to try and, and find value in ways that I didn't recognize were valuable before. Um, I have good days when I feel like I make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I have bad days. And I think I said to you beforehand, there are days when my diary looks completely empty and I wonder what am I here for? What's the point of me? And then there are days when somebody knocks on the door and says, have you got a minute? And I look at my diary and go, yeah, I've got a minute. And then I spend the next number of hours just being with someone. I'm having to learn that there are good days, there are bad days, and the ordinary is okay. I think we see a lot of stuff online of the people who are the super, you know, educators, the super clinicians, and they're brilliant. And they give us something to aspire to maybe, but they help push the boundaries of what's going on. But the overwhelming majority of medicine, of education, of pastoral care is delivered by ordinary people just doing their best. Mm -hmm. And I think we should be celebrating the ordinary. I'm incredibly ordinary. I don't, I don't think that I'm anything inspirational. What I think is I'm incredibly ordinary. And if there's mm -hmm. something inspirational what I do, it's the fact that I'm an ordinary doctor who gets up, puts his socks on, puts his shoes on, goes to work and tries to do his best. Mm -hmm. And I think there are loads of people out there doing that. And we should stop worrying about being up here mm -hmm. and understand that being here is okay. Yeah, we don't want to be down here. We want to try and be a bit better. But sometimes just being here is what people need. Mm -hmm. And that's where I sit. I'm comfortable sitting there trying to do a good job for people. And, and that's the value that the world gets out of me. Mm -hmm. I come to work. I do a decent job. I'm not brilliant. I'm not exceptional. I'm just ordinary. And actually, you know what? I think we should celebrate ordinary a little bit more. I really like that. The ordinary is okay. And we should remember that. <laughs> Thank you. You've, uh, you've shared your journey with us and we're very grateful to you. It's been Thank a you, Simon. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of Only Human as well as details of events, courses and other resources at don'tforgetthebubbles.com. Until next time. <laughs>